Well, if you have your scriptures with you, turn to the book of Romans and to the 12th chapter, if you would, please. And we're going to do exactly as my brother Vernon prayed. We are going to find the implications of what happened last week. Or Pastor Orlando talked to you about the inner teacher. But the inner teacher um, is, uh, results in an outward behavior. And that's exactly what we're going to do this morning. For those of you who don't know the book of Romans... The book of Romans is the most explicitly theological book in all of the Bible. And it's very um, um, well and, and categorically uh, laid out, so to speak. Let me give you a kind of an overview of that book. Uh, the first chapters one through three is about our condemnation, about how we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, all of us stand in condemnation. The second group of chapters. Uh, Chapters three through five talk about our justification. That is how God himself provided the way that we should be saved in his righteousness. Then chapters six through eight talk about our sanctification. That is how God gives us the victory in this life. Chapters uh, uh, nine through 11, I'm sorry, Tell us, tell us about God's regulation of history. That is, how God is, is in, in an overview shaping us toward a certain end. But then chapters 12 through 15 talk about our transformation. You see, we go from history to our personal daily actions. And that's what these latter chapters are about. Because every creed implies a conduct. Every doctrine implies a duty. Every incantation implies an incarnation. And so therefore, God is very concerned that we understand in a very practical sense. And that's that's what this is going to be. This is a very simple worship that said this morning, very simple sermon in a very practical sense. But in a very general sense, this is this is the beginning of a stewardship series. And we're going to start generally and get more and more specific as we go along. But in a very general sense, what consecration is? What's, what's, what's that? Well, read with me the first two verses of the 12th chapter of the book of Romans. And as, as is my custom, I'll go very slowly uh, because I, I, just, I, I want us to understand the fullness of these verses. I urge you, therefore, brethren, I want you to, I want you to notice the difference between a commandment and an appeal to the heart. Consecration is about the heart. It's not about mere obedience. Now, there's nothing wrong with obedience. It entails obedience in detail, but, but it's more than that. I urge you, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. See, this is the good news. You can trust God. Mercies here is plural, but it, but it refers to his character. The mercies of God. This is who he is. He provides grace for all of those who will avail themselves of it. To present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Now, let's stop right there and just talk about those words for a while. Present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice. This is about what happens in our actions. Um, Holy sacrifice, you know that word in Greek, uh, uh, hagios, it means separate. Separate from the world, I'm sorry, 
separate from worldliness, but not separate from the world. And that's where we get, that's why this, 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 uh, 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 this term living is a modifier for holy. Now, the reason that we can talk about living sacrifices at all is because we've already had the once for all death that satisfied God's full justice. See, in the Old Testament, every sacrifice got killed. Every one of them. Because the Bible says without, without the shedding of blood, there is no redemption. But because of what Jesus Christ did, because of his shed blood, all of that is finished. All of it's paid for, for all time. So we don't need to die anymore to please God. There may be some cases of martyrdom, but they weren't martyrdom because that's what we had to do to be approved of God. Christ has already done that. Now we can talk about living sacrifices. And in a way, living sacrifices, that phrase is even more difficult than dying. Dying is a one-time thing. Living is an everyday thing. You've heard that old joke about the trouble with living sacrifices is that whenever the altar gets hot, they keep crawling off. That is a problem. It costs much more in terms of vigilance and energy to be a living sacrifice. But yet, that's what it means. And it doesn't mean simply a list of, of, of commands that we obey. It means consigning ourselves to the person of God, handing over ourselves. That's what consecration is. One time a woman asked her pastor, what does consecrated mean? How would I consecrate my life? And her pastor did something I've never forgotten. Handed her a blank sheet of paper. And he said, sign your name at the bottom of that paper. So she did. And she said, now, let God fill in the top and whatever he fills in, you've already signed up for. That's consecration. In less than two months, I have a son getting married. On his marriage day, he will, in essence, sign the bottom of a contract. And for the rest of his life, his wife will be filling in the top. <laughs> and vice versa. Does he know what he's signing up for? No. No. But see, that's much different than saying, well, I think I could do this if I was married, but I could probably could do that, but I think I could do this, but I could probably could do that. See? And so, so it's more than mere obedience. It is the giving of our life to God through Jesus Christ, signing at the bottom. And that's why these next words are possible. It says, well-pleasing to God. This is well-pleasing to God, not just acceptable. He loves this. Why? Because he's not just interested in our behavior. He's interested in us. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a personal relationship with God. And so therefore, it's not enough if we, if we be good here and believe this and, do, you know, no. It's a relationship. So, he, so he's pleased. He's pleased. But watch this. Which is your spiritual service of worship. Those last three words in English are really one word in Greek. And I love them. As a matter of fact, if there could be one word, if we had a t-shirt for the distributed church, and there was one, this would have to be a rather esoteric endeavor, there was one Greek word on it. This would be the Greek word. It is latruo. 
Latruo. And it means this. It is service to another person that is really worship to God. Service that is really worship. One word. One action. That is to say, it is not being good for God. It is being good because of God being in us and us wanting to glorify Him. That's our spiritual service of worship. There is no line between service, of wor- service and worship in that. As a matter of fact, it was summed up best scripturally by the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and your neighbor as yourself. You see how those two go together? Worship, service. You can't separate them. So the distributed church is that service that comes out of worship and goes back to worship. Why is it like that? Because only as our worship shapes our service can we overcome the damage sin has done. I am, as you know, because I talk about it a lot, just an amateur student of the sciences. I love to read about scientists scientific and technological discoveries and so on and so forth. Just fascinating to me. And I access several web pages every day, Science Daily and so on and so forth. And I, and I kind of have an eye out toward those things that have to do with the brain for two reasons. Number one, because uh, my uh, youngest son wants to become a neurosurgeon. So I'm always interested in figuring, finding stuff and talking to him about it. Number two, because of Mandy, uh, who is still in a coma from that accident. And I'm wondering, you know, maybe, maybe I can learn something that would inform me how uh, that brain might be repaired of its damage. This week I, I read of a, uh, of a, uh, a discovery um, about how the higher brain retrains the lower brain. You see, it took place in the University of Toronto Medical School and They always understood why the lower brain would give feedback to the higher brain. But they couldn't understand, in cases of injury, why the higher brain increased its activity to the lower brain. And the higher brain, the cerebral cortex, actually acts as training wheels for the lower brain. And when damage happens, the higher brain comes down and tries to figure out how to retrain that lower brain to function. In light of the damage, what it can do now, according to how it is, and then after it retrains the lower brain, it won't give that feedback anymore. It will have retrained. Well, that's exact analogy to sin. When we sin, we damage our lives. But when we, when we worship God, that, that, that higher brain comes down and says, you know what you can do now? Let me retrain you. Yeah, you've, you've got some damage here. But we can work around these damaged areas, and this is what you can do now. And that's how that worship informs that, that, that outward action and retrains us so that we can still be effective. Latruo. I love that. Okay, read on with me. Then it says in verse 2, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Oh, I love these verses. The, the, the words here are, are very different, conformed and transformed. The word conformed um, is, is the word for fashioned. Don't be fashioned by the world. And that word is just exactly like it is in English. It's kind of a style. Uh, don't be restyled by the world. 
Don't be, don't be, don't, don't, don't just go along with what's in fashion in the world. Uh, one time I was talking with uh, a rabbi. Uh, this is some years ago. And, and, I, and I was talking with him what we could do for our community together. And, and, uh, and, and uh, telling him that, you know, this is not about mixing theologies. This is about we're both citizens of the same community. Jeremiah 29 says, do your community good. And, and if your community is healthy, you'll be blessed and so on and so forth. And he, was, he said, well, I'm very anxious to work with you. Um, and then he said this. I thought this was interesting and profound. I've never forgotten this. He said, you know, my main competition is not Christianity. It's the mall. <laughs> now, I had two points at which I was taken back with that. Uh, but I'll only concentrate on one of them. What he was saying was, my people don't really um, wrestle theologically. They wrestle with worldliness. And I thought, mine too. You know, that's, that is very true. More people are preoccupied and shaped in their wants by the mall than their theology. And it's very, very important for us to note that the Bible says, don't be conformed to this world. Don't let this world tell you what you want. Don't let this world tell you what you need. I know there are many of you who struggle with what's really important in life. All of us do who live life deeply. And I want to tell you today that I've seen some of you struggle and win. I've seen some of you struggle and lose, but I want to talk about you who have not been conformed to the world. I know several of you young mothers who have tried to decide whether or not you need to go back to work. And I've, and I, and I've, and I've seen you struggle with who defined the need, whether it was the world or the Lord. Now, please hear me. If you really need to work, I think you're a hero in your own right. But... Listen to this. Some of you have discovered this. More important than what I can buy for my child is what I can be for my child. And I can do a, without a lot of worldly things if I can just be with my kids. And I've seen you. You are so competent. You in the workforce would go straight up. You would be manager. You would earn a lot of money. I know that. And every day you'd, let, you'd smell like Chanel number five or whatever they smell like out there. <laughs> but instead, every day you're smelling more and more like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> I want to tell you something. You're my heroes. You're my heroes because you haven't been conformed to the world. You haven't let the world tell you what you need. You're discovering what's really important. I see the same thing in some of you men. I know you're not very good at relationships. A lot of you, a lot of us aren't. We're good at work. We're good at stuff. Not very good at relationships. And I see you struggling with your marriages and struggling with your role as a husband and the role of a father. And I see kind of the click. It says, I wonder... If somewhere along the line, I shouldn't say, I can't take this anymore. I know some of the alternatives you have. 
I've seen them too. They may be less trouble. They may be prettier. They may tell you everything you want to hear. But I've watched you decide not to go. Because you've decided that more important than your own ease is the heart of your wife and the trust of your kids and the love of your Lord. I want to tell you something. You're my heroes. Because you've not conformed to the world. You are being transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word transformed, in Greek, we get the word metamorphosis from this Greek word. And it means you're being made into some other heavenly person. Now, that comes through a lot of mistakes. You understand that? That's that word renewing. Renewing here is in the present imperative passive. And it means this. The renewing takes place daily, daily. And it usually takes place by correction, not by perfection. Let me tell you, let me tell you a great analogy for holiness. Some people believe that when they accept Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, not only do they have all of their sins forgiven, you do. And it's a moment when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you become a child of God. And so you're in a whole different state there. But they also believe that now I'm going to go straight to God. Now, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says there has to be a constant renewing of your mind, a constant reorientation of your mind. One of the best metaphors I've ever heard is the metaphor of a heat-seeking missile. Many of you during the Gulf War watched these missiles take off, take, take off from the ships and, 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 they, and they weren't steady when they took off. I mean, they kind of waved when they took off. And you go, whoa, man, is that thing going to be all right? Um, now, they may not have been heat-seeking. They may have different. I'm sure they've got much more sophisticated computers these days. But, but several years ago, heat-seeking missiles operated like this. They took off, and they found their, tar- their, their target, watch this, by deviation. That is to say... They would take off and get off course and something in them would sense that they were off course. And so they would aim back for course, only they wouldn't get to course. They'd, they'd go out the other way. And then, then, then something in them, like the Holy Spirit functions in us, says, oops, you're off course. So you go back and then you, and then you go back. And, then, and here's heat seeking missiles go like this. They start off and they continually reorient, recompensate until finally the deviations become so small that they hit the target. By the time they get to the target, the deviations are very small indeed. When you first start off in Christianity, you know, a lot of times you're going here and the Holy Spirit goes, whoops, you're off course. You go, oh yeah, okay. And you go and you overcompensate. And it, whoops, you're off course again. And we do the same thing. But as you progress, the deviations become smaller. And that's what holiness is. That's the perfecting of our lives. That's spiritual maturity. Now, read just the the rest of this verse with me, and then we'll, we'll partake of communion together. It says this, after we have fixed our eyes on Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's what what you do in a heat-seeking missile, is keep looking at Jesus, and you renew your mind so that you can get closer to him. 
Then it says this, that you may prove. Now listen to this. Accurate theology is indispensable. Why? Because that tells you where you want to go. That tells you who God really is. That aims you for who God really is. And therefore, to know what God did in Jesus Christ and what's available to you by his grace is essential. But that's not where the proof comes. The proof doesn't come in what you know. The proof comes in your character. That you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. There's that word. In Greek, it is teleos. It doesn't mean without mistake. It means complete or mature. Now, our job is to understand a couple of things here. First of all, our job is to understand that we prove God not by argument, but by life. And we prove it not only to other people, but to ourselves. I don't know how many of you willingly say, you know, every once in a while I kind of doubt. I wonder if I'm on, I wonder if there is a God sometimes. I, I, these, these, these things come to me. And I just, especially if you're starting off and you're still operating on an intellectual level, there will be, there will be different little shots thrown at you here. Fiery darts. And you, you know, you have those doubts. You know what? That's normal. That's normal. As a matter of fact, the church many times sends out mixed signals. It doesn't mean to, but it just, it just, it puts things together that ought not be together and it causes doubt. Somebody sent me an email this week of uh, bulletin bloopers. And uh, I thought I'd read all the bulletin bloopers, but there's a new list. Somebody's been doing some new surveying around the churches. And, and, and I, th- I like this one of this small church. You know, some churches still have a Sunday morning service and then a different Sunday evening service. And the preacher preaches two different services or two different sermons. And the Sunday morning sermon title was Jesus Walks on the Water. And the Sunday evening sermon title was Searching for Jesus. You know, you probably ought not to put those two together. Uh, it, it, it causes doubt. But, well, <laughs> the point here is that the proof in our life does not come merely intellectually. What we believe about God is very, very, it's essential. But the proof doesn't come till we live it. And we prove it. Not just to other people, but to ourselves. Remember the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. Lord, let me always preach Christ and when necessary, use words. That is this kind of proof. I, I love the story about Dr. Madison Surratt. He taught mathematics at Vanderbilt University for years and years. And, and one of the courses he taught was trigonometry. And every, every test of trigonometry, he'd say the same thing. Because he wasn't going to stay in the room. He'd stand up and say, you know, I'm going to leave the room in a minute. And I want you to know you're taking two tests today. One is on trigonometry. And the other is on honesty. He said, I really hope you pass both. But if you have to fail one, fail the trigonometry test. Because there's lots of good people that can't do trigonometry. But there are not good people who are not honest. And then he'd walk out of the room. You know, 
if all of you could become theologians and all of you could become people of Christian character. The word character, by the way, etymologically means engraved so that you are literally, it's marked in you. If there was a dividing point there, and there isn't, (laughs) the character would be the most important. That you might prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. What is consecration? It's handing over the keys of our life in a personal relationship with God. It's not about our own goodness. Holiness is not about our nature, but about His. It's about partaking of His nature in us so that we might be more like Him. Some of you are pretty good at life, but God's better. Let me tell you one more thing, and then we'll take communion. True story. Years ago, there was an old, very well-accomplished artist who played the organ in this majestic church. This was his last Sunday. He regretted having to step down. But he needed to retire, and he knew it. And there was this young, enthusiastic, passionate organist, this artist who was to take his place. The old organist had ambivalent feelings, but this particular Sunday he played, and played very well. And when he was done, and the people had exited the church, he closed the organ, and he locked it, and he put the key in his pocket, and walked to the back of the sanctuary. At the back of the sanctuary, there was this young replacement of an organist, very anxious to play, gleaming his eyes, jittering his step. And he looked at the old organist and he asked him for the key. Reluctantly, the old organist handed over the key. And this young artist ran down the aisle. And even though there was no one in the church, <laughs> he opened that organ and began to play. And the sounds that came from that organ were so majestic and profound so elevated in artistry that the old organist could hardly believe it. In the years to come, hundreds of people would come from the territories around because they had heard of this young man's artistry and passion for Christ. That young man was Johann Sebastian Bach. In the years after his retirement, the old organist often mused, I wonder what would have happened if I had never given the keys to the master. You're good at your life. God can be better. He is the master. It's your decision whether or not to give him the keys. Pray with me. Lord, as we partake of this physical nature of your son or that 
symbol which stands for his physical nature. We pray that this would be a time of consecration and dedication to your nature. We would pray, Lord God, that you would help us so to respond to what you have done in Jesus Christ that we could follow him all the days of our lives and he could play these instruments that are our lives. We pray in his name. Amen.